Hi, everyone. This is Chelsea Lee Truscott, breakup coach and podcast host of Thank You Heartbreak. And this is episode 86. This is day 21, question 21 of my February challenge. And I'm just going to get right into it and see where I take myself, where I take you guys as you listen to this. So the date is February 24th, 2019. Today I want to feel la 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 la. Mm. God, why can I never think of the feeling? I mean, it really is hard to think of the feeling often. Today I want to feel uh back on track, but like that's not a feeling. What 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 would the word be? Today I want to feel solid. That even seems like a large goal, feeling solid. I just want to feel, I don't know what I want to feel. I think I just want to feel mentally alive again. Let's just start there. I want to feel mentally alive. If you listened to yesterday's episode, you know that I'm kind of in recovery mode and I'm really looking to get my mind back. Day 21's question is a long one. So stick with me here. What do you need to accept in your life so you can feel less pained and more free? Think not only about your most recent acts, but all your past relationships. Think of your family, the atmosphere of your childhood home, what it was like sitting with your family for dinner. Think about the friends you've made and the friends you wish you would have made. Think of the way you look at yourself in the mirror, how you feel when others look at you. Go far back and consider this question from all sorts of angles. Let today be the day you dare yourself to explore what areas of your life need your acceptance. As I say this prompt, I immediately go to this moment in my life. It was 2012 and I was sitting in a family therapy uh, session It was at the rehab facility that my sister was in, and I think it was the first family session that we had had. Early in those days, a lot was thrown over to me during those sessions by my sister, and I think that, of course, she was coming into sobriety, and there was a desire to shift the focus away. During those sessions, I took a lot of the heat, and there was this moment where she said something like, I had never lived in all the cities I had moved to because of my relationships. So I had never lived in Boston. I had never lived in New York. I had never lived in San Francisco. I had never lived in Los Angeles. I had never lived in Paris. And by that meaning that I'd never put myself really into that world, I'd always acted like a recluse. A recluse, how do you say the word? And that was because I put my life on hold. And this statement that she said was very accurate. And I beat myself up for that for years. Like as the years went on, as I went to the next city, to the next city, always thinking that the city would cure me, that the city would change my habits, when in fact, that is never the case. You have to change yourself once you get anywhere, in any moment. You know, it's a complete fantasy to think that a relationship is going to change us, to think a city is going to change us, to think a new year is just going to change us. Nothing in and of itself is going to change us. We have to do that work. So my sister was right, but I had beaten myself up so much, especially in 2012 when I was living in Los Angeles. I knew that I would be leaving. I knew I would have to move back to Miami. And I was completely heartbroken, not only heartbroken, but 
just at my worst physical, mental, emotional shape. I just hated myself for the fact that I had never spent one day in Los Angeles and I'd been living there for two years happy. Long story short, we're in family therapy and this is said to me and I felt enormous shame, enormous shame, especially in front of my father who was always so proud of me and proud of me moving to all these different cities and all this academics that I was chasing and thinking that of course I was living my life to the fullest if I was getting these degrees and if I was living in these cities. It was this assumption. People just assume that you're living this life and you're doing really well if your life seems on the outside to be progressing through moves and degrees and relationships even. And it was in that moment that I had heard those words from myself so many times and my sister was putting me on the spot with them. And I remember feeling that just owning it. Yes, I never have lived my life in the cities. I've always put my life on hold. I resent myself for it, but I'm not going to regret it any longer. And that was a big shift. I resent myself for the choices I have made. It's my responsibility. I am responsible for where I've ended up and where I haven't ended up, but I'm not going to sit and regret it anymore. And for me, that meant that I was going to have to make something of it. I was going to have to accept all the choices I had made up until that point in the sadness of my life. And I was going to have to kind of get some meaning from it. Not even kind of, I was going to have to make meaning of it in order to make it important. If we look at our past and we say, we're so ashamed of our behavior there, then we're not going to want to ever call attention to those years. We're never going to be able to look back at those moments and feel all right with it. And because of that, because it's going to make us so uncomfortable, we're going to swear those moments off. And many moments of our lives last years. So you won't ever want to talk about or feel years of your life. And that does not seem all right to me. That just seems like absolutely how you end up regretting your life. One thing that I'm sure of is that the people that I know and the people that who have come onto my podcast have done the best after their own heartbreak are the people that have let their heartbreak change them, change their direction, that they've made something out of that heartbreak. They've owned that it affected them. So many of us want to say that this was not a big deal to us. We want to minimize something. So one, we don't feel the effect, but not even that. So other people don't think we were affected. It's more that it's all this outward projection. If we can minimize the impact and not talk about the impact then other people will feel like, oh, that thing was not that important to us. The people that I've seen do the best after things that have hurt them are the people that said they were affected, that let themselves be affected. And all those emotions, they made something of it. They turned it into something more. One activity that I like to do with my coaching clients is you start with the last thing that you're harping over and you try to work backwards and work backwards and work backwards and work backwards to kind of find the root of where this all started. By working your way backwards, you're able to see almost on an impulsive level why you're choosing things. And by kind of defining it down into what was the impulse what was like that gut reaction that you're striving for, you're able to gain a sort of acceptance 
around your actions. The value of an activity like this is that when you're able to clarify impulses of yours, motivations, intentions of yours, the clarity is the only way that you can move into a form of acceptance. Obviously, we can't accept something that we don't know, that we can't locate, something that we haven't drawn up from inside of ourselves. So in order to accept something and to move into acceptance, you have to start to see things clearly. Let's go back to the original question for the day since it's a bit long and there's a lot to it. What do you need to accept in your life so you can feel less pained and more free? Less pained and more free. Think not only about your most recent ex, but all your past relationships. Think of your family, the atmosphere of your child's at home, what it was like sitting with your family for dinner. Think about the friends you've made and the friends you wish you would have made. Think of the way you look at yourself in the mirror, how you feel when others look at you. Go far back and consider this question from all sorts of angles. Let today be the day you dare yourself to explore what areas of your life need your acceptance. The reason this question is so multifaceted is that it's never what you think it's about. It's never what you're making it about. It's always deeper. There's always more to the story that you're holding on to. When I think about my life and I think about what I was talking about with the resentment that I had toward myself about being in long distance relationships and how those long distance relationships, I use them as a way of trying to comfort me while I was moving to new cities. And in fact, they ended up just preventing me from living in the cities. But the reality was the story wasn't just really about long distance relationships. And the story wasn't just about me choosing men that would enable me to be in long distance relationships. The story was never just about men. It was deeper. Again, you know, it goes back to like what I was saying, to think about the friends that you made or the friends you wish you had made. Think about the way you look at yourself. Think about your relationship with your family. Think about the atmosphere. And it took me a long time to actually piece together why that this had been such a significant story in my life, why there was such an impact with having long distance relationships. And I realized that the long distance relationships, I was trying to use it as an answer to something that was much, much, much deeper. I used long distance relationships to try to act as a cushion as a protective guard from having an eating disorder. Let me explain. When I first went to college, I was in a long distance relationship and I remember getting there and feeling very out of my element. Always my biggest fear was having to start over and not know anyone. And I realized in that moment how much I relied upon my reputation it was a scary thing to have to start over. And really by that, I mean, prove myself. I always had this fear back in the day that I was never going to live up to the expectations that others had of me. And that in itself was a reason that I pulled back. So I didn't meet up with people, people that wanted to get together with me. I always put it off because I was fearful that they would meet me and the idea that they had would be completely obliterated by the reality of me. So I started this kind of history of putting things off and thinking if I gave it more time that I would eventually live into myself more and I would become the person during that time that I would want them to meet. That never happened. 
In fact, I just became more and more fearful. So over my first year of college, I became a recluse. I became very isolated and very unlike myself. I didn't speak to people because I wasn't making friends. I lived with five girls, but I was always in my small little bedroom where I lived alone. I was always on a bus going to New York City because that's where I wanted to live. And so I was always escaping the reality of where I had ended up. Fast forward, it's Christmas break with my boyfriend and he gets really angry at me. You know, he wants me to be really this sidekick, someone that's on his arm, but really isn't speaking. And at that time in my life, I hadn't betrayed myself through romantic relationships. And therefore, this was unacceptable to me. So I broke up with him. I look back on moments like that, and I love that. I love that I didn't stay just because I had invested time and life with this person. I didn't stay because I was afraid that he was the only person I was talking to. He had disrespected me. I was scared of him to a degree, and so I got out. But from that moment, I went back to college and I suddenly was without someone, really without anyone in my mind for the first time. It wasn't like I wasn't participating in activities around school. I wasn't going to parties because I had this long distance boyfriend and I was taken. You know, that had been a great excuse at the time to not socialize. Well, I have this boyfriend and I'm going to be talking to him on the phone. It was a great way to pull myself out of uncomfortable situations. So there I was, my first year in college, my second semester, and I feel this paralyzing ache, this emptiness. I have no direction. There's no substance coming into my life. And I remember specifically feeling like, well, if people aren't going to affect my life, because I always prioritized experiences over intellect, over study necessarily. So if people aren't going to help shape my life, because I'm not talking to people and I don't have friends here and I don't like anyone here was really the thing, then I'm going to tackle the one thing that has always tormented me. So at least when I come back from college my first year and I go into summer because there's always this pressure your first year I felt when you return from your first year of college, you want to show that you've changed. You want to share your experiences. You want to talk it up. Well, I had nothing to talk up. So I was like, I need to come back and be a changed person. So I was like, I'm going to finally overcome this issue that I've had with my body for seven years. I'm going to put this to rest. So I woke up one morning and I said, in the spring of my freshman year, I'm no longer going to ever take a diet pill again. And that was like a big thing that I was overcoming at the time. Well, very soon after I decided I'm not going to eat either. And for me, that this was just a way of losing 10 pounds finally and thinking that was going to be enough. Well, it escalated and it went out of control. I ended up losing weight rapidly. People were noticing. I was obsessed and I was scared of going backwards. I was loving what I was seeing, but I also became very terrified, realizing that the way I'd finally lost weight was not through healthy ways that I had been doing before, like really working out, being this athlete, but really through starvation. So my life just spun out of control. And where I had just feared people socially, now I feared people for a whole different reason. I feared what their eyes were going to be like upon me. I feared what they would say. I feared the pressure that they would make me eat. I feared if I went to a social event that this would be have to be another opportunity where I'd have to face food and not only food, but alcohol. I started seeing alcohol as something that would have made me feel better around people, but now it had calories. So more and more reason to isolate. 
I now go back to Miami, where I'm from, for the summer. And my dad and my family is just terrified of me. They were really, really scared of what they saw. Again, had been losing weight rapidly, and they had no idea what was going on. Like, how did this happen within months? Long story short is my best friend at the time, a man that had seen me throughout a lot of my relationships, ended up really protecting me from my family. And that protection was, it was, it was like a godsend. I mean, I was scared. And this person was running interference between me and my family. Again, going back to that question about what was the atmosphere like in your home. At this time, it was very contentious. It was frightening. So this person came along and was a distraction. It was a comfort. You know, would hold my hand underneath the table as we were eating or would take me out so I wouldn't have to be with my family. And he would never ask me questions. And so started this dependency on men, I felt, to act as interference from me and my family. What I didn't expect was that what happened during that time of having that eating disorder and the way that my father looked at me, I didn't know that that would have such consequences years later. That what he saw and what I experienced, the pain of what I experienced and never articulated with him, I had a really hard time looking my dad in the eye for years after. So I would use men to kind of cushion that blow or to take me outside of my home, to be a man in my life. But now I was trying to find men that were unlike my father, that wouldn't judge me like my father, that wouldn't put on expectations like my father. And so I moved to New York after being in Boston for a year. I finally got to live in New York. And I had this long distance boyfriend that was making me feel safe inside a city that really was harsh to me, was very harsh toward what I looked like, said awful things. And I was with someone that didn't force me to confront the eating disorder. Thus became a cycle of me moving to cities with a relationship thinking that everything kind of went wrong when I broke up with that first boyfriend that I had my freshman year of college, thinking, well, if I had never done that, if I had never broken up with him, I would never have had to confront that issue of my body and things never would have gotten so bad. I never would have been left to my own devices. Men have protected me. They've given me self-respect. They have made it so I can't turn on myself. Now, this ended up being false as I found out later. But this is what I thought. This was the thinking. Again, I went from city to city and always found a new relationship to get into. And so over time, I thought it was just, I was in love with these sorts of men, or this is just how life worked. And these were the relationships I was in, but I was never looking at the underlying issue. And the underlying issue was I thought relationships were saving me from myself, from the worst of myself. You know, just like anything, By not really thinking through the eating disorder, I never was able to resolve that ache. I never was able to see the things I was trying to use in order to heal me. Same thing with relationships. If we never look at why we were in certain relationships, why we chose certain relationships, what we think they were trying to save us from, what they were protecting us from, what they were substitute for, we'll keep on going throughout patterns and we'll get confused about why we even chose something in the first place. We'll get confused about where we are in all of this. 
And so it became a story about my relationships and men and my sadness surrounding these men was really a deeper sadness about how I had really been that, that freshman year about, you know, the heartbreak was ultimately about how I never cared enough for myself about what I had done to myself and how I didn't even trust that I could love myself. And that's why I use men to show up and love me in such vulnerable times. The reality though, is that until I could accept that, until I could, and this is a simplistic way of saying it all, it's not even the best way of saying it all, but until I could see it for what it really was, I could stop making so much of my life about the drama of men. And therefore I could start fixing and I could start really healing myself. And the revelation was when I returned to New York City about almost 10 years later, it was I had to show up and be here and not get into another relationship. I had this opportunity to return to New York and live it in a different way and to not repeat the same patterns that I was repeating. And so I had to put myself in like the arena that I'd always been scared to be in. And that really was by going back and doing things in the way that I hadn't done them. And which meant was being single, being alone. You see, I was so scared of being single and alone because of what had happened to me when I was single alone that first year of college. And that set the tone for so much of my life going afterwards. I thought I was always, that love was so important to me and it is, but more than love being important to me, it was that I was so afraid of being alone, of how I would harm myself of what I would feel about myself, that I would become lifeless. It wasn't that love was so important. It was that my fear had become the most important aspect of my life. That was the thing that I was actually trying to run from, that I was trying to protect myself from. Love was actually just an excuse. It was a shield, I thought. So by accepting what the story was really about, I was finally able to fix it. I was finally able to address the issue and do what I should have done years prior, which was learn how to be alone, which was learn how to show up for myself, was learn how to make friends, was learn how to deal with the atmosphere of my family without running away with a boyfriend. It was about finally addressing the way that I looked at myself and not waiting until a man told me how I looked or how they felt about me. It was how I felt about me not having sex with a man, not only feeling desirable when I was with a man, but finding ways that I could feel desirable just with myself. It was about learning how to feed myself when I was by myself. This is a complicated story. And I also, I just feel so apologetic right now because this is all not coming out well. I really, I just feel very embarrassed and apologetic about it. Please continue to give me a chance. Um, I'm going to blame it on the sanity that I'm chasing and just feeling a little bit off within myself and not very clear, but trying to show up for this. So please, please, please stick with me and give me a chance. I think that the heart of it I'm saying is that often we look at the closest drama that there is to us 
And we think that's what's defining us. If only we can answer this drama, then things will be made right. And the reality is, is that we have to go deeper and further and further back to figure out how we even landed ourselves in this drama. And often when we try to make something so important to us, the closest thing that we're in so important to us, it's because we're trying to distract ourselves from the deeper analysis, the really the heart of the matter, the real issue that is really at play with the concept of ourselves. That is often harder to handle because it just is us in the end. Often the thing that we obsess over is the drama of ourself in relation to another person. And having that other person part of the conflict, it kind of keeps us in company with people. We can kind of blame the other. If only we can understand the other, we will, we will be resolved. But the reality is, is that we have to understand ourselves. And it's not about the other people. It's really about why we chose other people, what we are looking to gain from them. And when we're looking to gain something from someone, it's often because there's a loss inside of ourselves. And that's the bigger question. Not just what we were looking to gain from another, but what that means that we felt like we were without. And if you can go back and figure out all the things that you feel like you are personally lacking, then you can start learning how to give yourself those things rather than insisting on other events, other people, other experience, giving them to you. What happens in that case when you never learn how to give or treat yourself, you become so dependent and so reliant on all these external things, all these other people. And so you're always at the mercy of them. Your heart is at the mercy of them. Your life is at the mercy of them. Your joy is at the mercy of them. Your sadness is at the mercy of them because you don't feel like you have any control over what you're gaining in life, over what you're giving yourself in life. It's only a matter of time until you address what the core issue really is. You can run from these things. You could take the scenic route back toward yourself and you could use a lot of distractions, thinking that they will distract you long enough that you can forget the issue altogether. But the ache is always going to be there. It's always going to be, you know, the reason that you become angry within your relationships, the reason that you cry, the reason that you lash out is because you feel on a very deep level that you are out of control, that you are unresolved. And so if I were to encourage you to do anything, I would say that rather than using a moment of singleness as an opportunity to, you know, go find the next person or react to the last person you're with or kind of try to leapfrog over the discomfort that you're feeling, rather than being reactive, try to respond to yourself by reflecting on your intentions for choosing people in the first place. And what you're looking for other people to answer inside of you. If you can begin figuring that out now and use this, look at every opportunity when you are alone as an opportunity to really face yourself, you will be able to get much further along. Otherwise, you're just postponing the inevitable. You really are just postponing the inevitable. And the longer you wait, the more baggage that you bring the more that you will have to process. And that's an endeavor that's going to take a lot of time and effort. It's going to take a lot of you having to overcome even more of yourself 
But if you're willing to deal right now, you're closer to freeing yourself. So I say the only shortcut to healing is to begin right away. The quote of the day is by a woman whose name I cannot pronounce, Nahara Wahid. There are feelings you haven't felt yet. Give them time. They are almost here. I would say just trust in the timing of your life. Try to have patience for yourself. If you can learn to be with yourself, you can let love be. Thank you so much for being here, and I will talk to you next time. Bye, everyone. 